Welcome to Influence, the podcast that dives deep into the heart of influencer marketing and the creator economy with the people who know it best. This podcast is hosted by Powder, where streamers can search their best moments to find short, shareable stream clips with AI. And I'm your host, Alyssa Goldberg. We're welcoming an important pillar of the influencer marketing community today, Phil Ranta. If you haven't seen one of his LinkedIn posts, he's a top voice in innovation and tech. You may have encountered him as the CEO of Spree, a shoppable video and media company focused on health and wellness creators and brands. Phil has been creating content for the internet and building internet businesses professionally for nearly 20 years, even back in the MySpace days. He was the head of gaming creators North America at Facebook and earlier a leader at Fullscreen and Studio 71. Needless to say, we are so thrilled to have you on the show today, Phil. I am super excited to dive deep into the topic of shoppable commerce. Um, especially because it's come up again and again and again on this show and in the last few months. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it, too. I feel like with all of these kind of new trends that you see on the cover of Wall Street Journal, everybody wants to talk about it all at once. And you know what? It's about a 50-50 as to, you know, everyone was talking about blockchain and influencers two years ago. Now it's a little trickier. A shoppable video, though, I, I am a bull. I'm bullish on it. And there's a lot of signal that everyone else should be, too. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot we can we can discuss about separating signal from the noise, also about how this time is different than the previous times, because I feel like shoppable commerce has kind of been, uh, you know, it, it's been coming up for the last few years. It's definitely been mentioned in a lot of VC circles and things like that. So really excited to dive into all of that. But to kick things off, I wanted to ask a little bit about your your background. Uh, could you start by sharing a brief overview of your journey from a pre-YouTube web video producer to the CEO of Spree? Yeah, I mean, I, I will try to do it briefly, but I started as a comedian. <laughs> yeah. I moved out to Los Angeles because I was going to wow. be a, a, a sitcom star or a TV writer, right, for late night shows. Um, this was uh, 2004 was when I first stepped foot into Los Angeles, and I shot a pilot. It was right after Reno 911 uh, wow. hit on Comedy Central. So uh, I thought semi-scripted was the way to go. I was an improviser. So shot a pilot called Party Animals. Um, Tim Robinson, who's now a multiple-time Emmy winner, was one of the stars of it. He was like 23 years old at that time. Oh I'm um, still doing comedy in Michigan. Uh, and uh, ended up selling. But it ended up selling to superdeluxe.com. And at that time, it was very strange. They're like, wait, you sold a show to a website? I'm like, yeah, no, the TV yeah. networks wanted it. So it was Turner's website. Did six episodes there, but I just fell in love with digital content. So started shooting for, that time, Blip TV and Rever. I was not doing YouTube because I wanted a revenue split, and those other ones offered it, and this one didn't. Um, and uh, kept jumping from digital job to digital job. And then really until 2011, everything I did was the creative space. So I was producing, um, ran a production division that did Mobisodes and wallpapers and stuff for uh, mostly Verizon called Vimavision. Uh, and then uh, full screen was my first time where I was a straight up business person, right? I was working with the creator community, tasked to build a creator network when I don't even think any of us really knew what that was. And yep. became the biggest creator network in the world after seven months. And a lot of that was just building the right team, getting them on the right structures, um, figuring out how to uh, scale outreach and scale services. And 
that's kind of when my career took off. So it was kind of 10 years of toiling in order to be an overnight success, you know, a lot of entry yeah. level positions in between. I feel like that's almost always how it happens. Um, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure you've seen those like line drawings of like what actually a career looks like. And it's like, like this, right. but actually one day, uh, you know, day after day putting in like the work uh, really starts to pay off. I was actually gonna ask you what, yeah. What was the most defining moment for you in your career in the influencer marketing space that that let you know that this was something that you really had to take seriously? You know, so, uh, I'll, I'll give you the bad answer and the good answer. The bad answer okay. is it was a little bit out of it was a little bit out of spite because I worked in TV in a, in a development house for nine months and I just hated it. Because it was yeah. like we would write all these ideas and then we'd have somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about say they're terrible. And I'm like, we're, we're creating programming for 23-year-olds and I'm having like a 60-year-old man tell me that it's that it's not going to fly. It's like it just yeah. – it, it all felt very silly to me and everybody was overworked and underpaid because it's the joy of, of, of creating. It's like this is TV. And I'm like, it just didn't make sense. I was like an educated person, you know, making 400 bucks a week, grinding out yep. reality TV concepts. Like, it's terrible. And then as soon as I went like, oh, wait a second. Now that I've got this digital show on the air, I can shoot whatever I want. And I can put it up and I live or die based on the audience and the thing that I like. Yeah. There's no middleman. It was brilliant. So I, I think that's when I officially got hooked on it. When I knew it was going to work was um, when I was working at View Vision on the mobile phone side. And I realized when I talked to the first business people about user-generated content and yeah. um, saw the outsized impact it was having on Verizon's Vcast as opposed to like The Office and all the other like MTV, the stuff they had on there. And when we were making bespoke short-form content, we were getting more views than those. I went, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think that's when I decided, like, this is the future. All we just need to do is get brands to understand, and we need to get Hollywood to understand, investors to understand, and then it kind of became a life's mission. I feel like every person I've talked to who has been in this industry for, you know, 10-plus years, We they everyone always talks about the early days of having to evangelize that this was a relevant thing. Um, yeah. How did you do that in the early days, and where do you find yourself doing that today? Totally. So in the early, early days, like before 2010, uh, it was just a distribution and sales pitch, right? Where it's like, hey, we get on this many handsets or look, we can build a MySpace profile for you and, you know, we can get you up to 100,000 followers and it's remarketing and they would pay us almost nothing for it. I, when I say that I was making entry-level salaries for 10 years, I, I like, I mean it. <laughs> yeah. like, I was, As a former I was journalist, sad. I can relate deeply to this. There we go. <laughs> yes. And I think I still have trauma from that because the digital market is such that at any given time when things shift hard enough, you can be right back there and then have to oh, build yeah. up, you know? Part of the fun and the scary part, but... Um, yeah, and then once we started doing full screen, when we started getting like bigger numbers behind us and started getting larger talent, um, I think the aha moment on that was uh, Pepsi um, decided to sponsor a bunch of our people for tweets. I think it was around uh. maybe the Super Bowl. Uh, and they were giving out $1,000 per tweet. And for a lot of these creators with over a million followers, they had never had a brand deal before. Totally. So... $1,000 per tweet for us made us go like, wow. And the, the numbers on it were impressive. And we're like, 
why are these people buying TV ads during the Super Bowl when we just like did a thousand dollar tweet that got, you know, uh, at that time, like 40,000 retweets, which was huge, yeah. right? So, um, and then that was the moment where it was like, more, more people just need to learn about this and respect this and it'll be good yeah. for their business. Like what we're, we're selling a good product finally. So let's go sell it, you know? Absolutely. And do you find that you have to, like the, that same muscle of trying to convince people that this is the opportunity is something that you have to do today in kind of a different format or not so much? Do you feel like that everyone is, is at the same level of information or not? It depends on the, the technology and point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Like things will pop up, blockchain will pop up and, you know, <laughs> uh, quantum computing and AI and, but you know, and then you kind of have to start the cycle over again, right? And yeah. one thing that I have learned throughout my career is a lot of times the Silicon Valley technologists are trying to convince the middle America markets too quickly that something needs to be adopted too much, right? Like, yeah. When, when I implement an AI program in my grocery store in middle America right now, heck no, right? Just the, the yeah, amount Amazon of Go is not working and, in Iowa. Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Like we, you need to find the right point of view. Um, you need to make sure it's understandable. You need to make sure it's actually helpful. You need to build in that direction. You can't get obsessed with your own feature set. Totally. Um, and in shoppable video, what we're struggling with right now is is exactly that, right? Like, how do you make sure that you're, first of all, creating great content people want to watch because yep. people don't want to watch a bunch of commercials. They want to watch great content um, and then build it in such a way that people say, oh, that product is cool. Maybe I want to buy that, right? It's certainly not a foregone conclusion that shoppable video is the future. But I, we've seen it in China. We've seen it in a lot of Southeast Asia. Yep. We've seen a lot of good signal in America in terms of like what, how TikTok shop is investing in it and how they're making sure that it's an efficient way of building. Now it's like what I like to do, which is crack the code, right? Test, mm. experiment, fail, learn. I mean, I, I, through all the success of my career, I would love to just tell you about all the failures in my career. Right? Like, yeah. I have gone to the market too early about 10 times. Um, I don't <laughs> feel like this is that, but um, that's part of what makes it fun, right? Is like if you're yeah. trying to break new ground instead of trying to chase the dollar that's already out there, you can truly lead in something. What's the one failure then that you feel like you've learned the most from? And then mm -hmm. I have a, like the flip side, kind of like more uplifting question after that. But I would say that in 2011, so we were still all feeling the impacts of 2008. Um, the digital, it was very hard to find jobs during that time. Even me with like yeah. a decent amount of experience, it was hard to find jobs. So I decided in 2011 to start a podcast network um, mm. called Comedy Podcast Network. And my idea was I would roll up all the big comedy podcasts in LA and through collective bargaining, be able to get them. A lot of them at that time, even bigger podcasts didn't have any sponsors. So right. I'm like, I'm going to go out and hit sponsors and figure it out. Um, rolled up some great shows, had some good traction, had some good audience, went out to every single brand that I could find and had all of them say, why would I buy this when I could buy TV? And like, show me the case study that shows me that this is better than my spend over here. And of yeah. course, I didn't have the case study because I couldn't get the first one on the board. So we tried some affiliate stuff. We tried like... And eventually I just kind of like ran out of money. I didn't have the money to keep it going. Yeah. 
and I couldn't get anyone to buy in. And then it was like, what, five years later that all these podcast networks started selling for crazy money. So I'm like, man, yeah. if, maybe if I just told my story differently or found that one true believer, like, I could have been the one that, that had the big exit or I could have been the one controlling Joe Rogan's show or I, you know, <laughs> totally. Um, but it, you know, I just, I, I went out with my best foot forward and I struggled for a while and then I missed. And then my next job after I decided to abandon that was full screen, which was astronomically successful. So yeah, during your time at full screen and then, uh, and then at Facebook and elsewhere, what were some of the strategies that you employed to grow the gaming creator departments? And then also you mentioned to kind of to do this for the first time. People weren't really managing creator programs, weren't really industrializing this in a meaningful way. How did you think about that and what kinds of strategies did you employ to, to make it work? Yeah, so at full screen, it was, um, I mean, Machinima had already been out to market for a while. So we got to talk to a lot of their customers and learn what yep. was good and bad. That really helped. Like that, that was huge for us. Yeah. Uh, Maker had already launched and um, I was friendly with some of the creators there. So at the very least got to hear what they loved. And at that time, everybody loved Maker, um, but they were being pretty selective. So it helped us really figure out what audience segment we wanted to target. And mm. we figured out that like kind of the upper mid tier were not being addressed by any uh, any MCNs at that time, um, especially when it came to non-gamers because Machinima was really going hard after the gamers. So then it made it a little bit easier because we could narrow our value proposition. What do they need? A lot of them just wanted someone to talk to. They've just been alone at this yeah. for so long that they were just like, oh my God, somebody who knows YouTube, help me. Um, wow. We also were able to get some benefits from YouTube, right? Like you couldn't get titles or, or you couldn't get thumbnails um, or banners unless you were part of a pro partner program. So by joining us, they got those. Um, I have always been like a bit of a tech wonk. So I thought that our real breakthrough is going to be the creator dashboard that we were building that was going to provide mm. a bunch of services and brand deals and all of that. Some of it worked better than others, but at the very least, we knew that there was a landing pad where somebody could go get service that wasn't human service all the time as we scaled. Right. Worked well for some people, other people dismissed it, um, but that's part of it. Uh, and then it was just about like getting very tactical about who we sign and how we outreach, right? So it became an, yeah. almost like an email marketing lesson. I heard from the uh, people at other companies that they spent a lot of time going onto YouTube, finding people who they thought were funny or cool or whatever, reaching out, having dinner, yep. blah, blah, blah. I didn't treat it like that. It was just like, hey, here are a thousand channels and a thousand emails of upper mid-tier people. Let's start the conversations, like just yep. by having great email outreach and great email like follow-ups and everything like that. Mm. And then figure out if they're right for it or not, right? Like yeah. let's figure out if they're crazy or if they're brand safe. Or if they're horribly offensive, like totally. who cares? Let's Work have on a it conversation. After. Yeah, totally. So it got us into the mindset of like, let's move faster than everybody else in terms of just brokering these these relationships, and it worked, right? Like seven months in, Comscore had us at number one. I think at that point, Anon um, took over at Maker from Danny Zappin, and he started employing some of that like yep. more regimented way of looking at the world. So then it became a full screen versus Maker war in terms of growth. Um, but you know, when it's, when you consider that it was me who was what in my early thirties at the time and a bunch of people in their early twenties at the time, and we were yeah. taking on giants, 
we were pretty we were pretty pleased. What are the major trends that you're observing in the creator economy right now and in particular in relation to video influencers and streamers? I actually feel for creators these days because there's so much noise out there. Everything from are these platforms even servicing me anymore and is the reach even worth it, yeah. right? Like we've seen in big tech, creator teams are getting cut. And yep. I, I think that it can't be denied that that is a signal that they realize that they don't think that one-on-one -on -one human interaction with top creators is valuable. I disagree. I've seen that play out a million times. They're like, well, I have product to do that. It's just, it, it's not what creators want. They want a hand to hold. Um, and uh, that's a bummer. And also a lot of people are just like cutting the amount of revenue that they're getting. They're calling it different things. Um, yep. Frankly, that's why we see a huge opportunity in creating all-encompassing programs that have everything from shoppable to building their own brands because we feel like if you're a creator with audience, you can't depend on the platforms anymore. The platforms yeah. start servicing you. And oddly enough, I'd say the platform that's servicing people the best right now in terms of just like monetization potential is Snapchat, which I never thought wow. I'd be saying in yeah, 2023. Yeah. But like, if you get the Snap Stars and you really lean into it, the money there is fantastic. And the ad product is fantastic. And the, wow. the way you can communicate with your audience because the messaging platform its core is great. Um, with YouTube, it's just too messy. With TikTok, your virality can give you a lot of followers, but not a lot of loyalty. Like Instagram is still awesome, but Instagram is like, it's aesthetic, right? You know, like I, someone like me would struggle on Instagram because it's just, I don't do Instagram-y type content. I'm like a Midwestern mm -hmm. dude, right? Um, so I, I think the, the three big trends you want to look at right now is first of all, shoppable video, undeniable. It's yeah. like, whether it be on TikTok shop or whatever, not every creator has to do it, but every creator should think about if they're launching their own brand, do they want to uh, put it on TikTok shop so that they have the ability to direct sell instead of going through the whole, go to my link in bio, go do this. Yeah. You know, like, um, so there's going to be a lot of people who need help on a services level there and expertise, which I, I think we're going to continue stepping further and further into the expertise side too. Um, the second one that I want to flag is the um, AI is coming. It's going to make a lot of content. Um, it's going to make a lot of content that I would argue be overwhelmingly disposable, but some things it'll do very well. Satisfying videos like the air, air brushing or carpet cleaning videos. It can mock yeah. that really well. Uh, kids videos and kids songs and simple animations. It'll be able to do well. Like the Coco melons of the world need to keep upping their premium to separate, um, unboxing videos. It'll do well. Explainer videos. If I'm searching like, like how to drywall my garage, like it'll be able to do that stuff very well. Um, so if you're a creator in that space, good to pivot. But also if you're a creator trying to outpace AI, this is, I'm going to use the buzzwords. I have to authenticity, right? Like yep. less editing, more you talk about your feelings, do things a robot can't do yep. and feel good about. And like, that's how you're going to find the future inside of it. And then three is building your own brand. Um, and I mean that in terms of an actual thing to sell. Like you, mm. you are a, a number one notion creator on TikTok, have notion templates to sell. You're a comedian, have a board game to sell. Like yep. the, the idea of having your own company and product doesn't have to be prime. You don't have to go make a billion dollar company. You can risk mitigate by having a very nice e-commerce store that's churning out $50,000 yeah. in product 
That's what, and and this is risk mitigation for when your views go down, not an if, but a when your views go down and have something more stable so your career can last longer. Um, and as long as creators are, are wise, wide open about those three things, you know, I think that they'll have a good 2024. I think also a lot of creators are going to get buried because they want to play the AdSense game forever. And that game is struggling. Yeah. Um, I, there's so much that's fascinating about what you just said. Um, but I want to ask a little bit more about the like creating your own brand and selling other products in a TikTok shop or on Spree or somewhere else. So earlier you had mentioned that it's, you know, how do you how do you balance making content that is promoting a brand without exclusively making commercials and making it feel like home shopping network? How do you think about that? And what do you kind of advise creators to do and brands to do uh, with respect to that content creation? Yeah, and there's there's certainly levels. And I think that it's interesting to say what brands should do because this shoppable video has been influencer marketing for the past 12 years, right? hundred percent. something different. But exactly. Direct response marketing is shoppable video. So when people say, will it work in the States? I'm like, trust me. Like when I was at We Are Verified, we were doing over a thousand pieces of branded content a year. It works. Yes. There's a reason why people get by it. Just, this is just a different UI, you know, other than the same. So totally. um, I'd say to think of it like, uh, like a great influencer marketing campaign, right? Like, Make content that uh, that features a product or celebrates a product, but it's still entertaining, like Mister mm. Beast does, right? Like he can yep. he can do like the big and crazy thing and be like, "And this wouldn't be possible without Squarespace." Thank you, Squarespace. If you do <laughs> yeah. this, if you make this hundred yard shop, then you get a free Squarespace for you. Like whatever, like just like make it fun, or the way podcasters do it, where they do it in the tone of the show and they make jokes about it, like. If you can make it a joyous entertainment experience too, while also celebrating the brand you win. Um, but also I think that there's levels like people when they're going into shoppable video, if you're on TikTok and you're wearing a cute top and that cute top is featured on TikTok shop, you can put that shopping bag in there and never even shout out, go and buy below, like go click totally. that shopping bag. People will get it. They'll see the image of the shirt. They'll see that's the shirt you're wearing. If they think it's cute, they'll get it. Right. Like if you're, if you're trying to figure out how you can start testing the audience on that baby steps, like to start in your default descriptions on YouTube, go to magic links, sign up for it, get all of your camera equipment used and just say, I shot the video using the following equipment. These are affiliate yeah. links. I participate in the revenue, put it in every single description. Just see if your audience is buying a receptive, then maybe try a shout out in your video. Hey, I really like the camera I'm using for this. If you want sharp quality like this, the link is below, right? Then maybe totally. you can start to like introduce a little bit more like influencer marketing type stuff where you do it at the top of your description box where you're like, hey, I just went to Six Flags. And if you want to buy tickets to Six Flags, here's the affiliate marketing thing right there. You can buy a ticket right now. Use code that's like baby step into it. Start training your audience the idea that you're like selling things that you think is cool. Um, yeah. And then you stop looking like a sellout. You look like you're actually helping them, right? And that exactly. starts, that's a very different vibe. I always say that creators need to create like creators, uh, which sounds obvious. But what I mean by that is from day one, if you upload your first YouTube video, you can start acting as if you're building a career from day one, mm. right? Pop an affiliate link in the very first video you ever make, right? You can start A-B testing with thumbnails from the very first video yeah. you make. 
it's not to say you're going to get the best signal on it because you're not getting a lot of <laughs> yeah. views, but like, but start building those processes, start building those best practices, make it part of what you do. I think we've got a horrible education gap when it comes to creators. When you consider that 40% of all Gen Z would leave their job right now if they have the opportunity to be a creator. Yeah. Like, where do they go to learn it? They kind of just are out on their own. Maybe they go through the, the YouTube boot camps or whatever they have on there, but that's not building a career. That's just best practices on a platform. Yeah. Uh, what I would love to see is, you know, it's why I have the Grow 1% newsletter on LinkedIn, right? It's like, I want people to start actually learning the best practices of growing a career and yep. assigning a goal to what you want to do and making steps towards that goal. Because whether you're a brand or a publisher or a creator, if you have that mindset from day one, it's going to be so much easier, you know? Totally. Um, and how do you, I guess, how is the health and wellness space? Like, I feel like the health and wellness space, which like Spree is well positioned in, is mm -hmm. all of this on steroids in a lot of ways, because so much mm -hmm. of the information people seek about how to improve their skincare or their hair quality or whatever is, uh, or like the way they feel. You know, we talked about AG1 last week as right. like the, such a great example of a product that we've only heard of and tried because of influencer marketing. Totally. What, what do you think about the potential of this niche in particular? And how do you think it will evolve with respect to shoppable commerce, authentic, authentic content, branded content, all of that stuff? Yeah, I think that within that, you've actually nailed our why. Like, why do we exist? <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the why we exist is health and wellness is a large market. There's a lot of great products and authoritative information out there, but it's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. Why is kind of like TikTok shop, spree, all of the things that are kind of reimagining and shortening the path to purchase between like the video and the moment of buying, why is this different today? I mean, there's, there's this huge confluence of many things that are all hitting us at once, which I think are really interesting. One is cookies keep dying. We see the slow death yeah. in cookies, but like now Google has come out and said that they're going to be gone off Chrome and they're going to like, it's, it's hard out there for a marketer right now. And like buying media used to be the thing that like, well, if we need it, we'll just buy media. And like, that's the easy way we can try. Like, we know the conversions on that. Level. That's getting harder and harder to prove mm -hmm. real ROI, right? Um, two is influencers are not making enough money anymore. It used to be, you used to make a heck of a lot more money on a million views than you do today. Mm -hmm. um, short form has really hurt that, right? Because like CPMs keep dropping. Um, so creators need to figure out how to get scrappy and how to make money. And where affiliate deals didn't feel like a lot of money before, now they're starting to feel like a lot of money. Now the CPMs yeah. are dropping. So it's like, there, I, I feel like there's a little bit of that scrappiness factor. And three is, I think that a lot of brands are starting to finally get frustrated with the uh, return on investment in influencer marketing being so up and down, right? It's very hard to tell if a campaign is going to work with a creator until it happens, right? Um, yeah. You can check all the engagement rates you want, all of but every audience is a special flower who expects a special thing. Yeah. Uh, you can hit up someone with 100,000 followers that don't seem to be super engaged who will sell $20,000 in product. Or you might hit up somebody with a million who will sell like complete goose egg zero. And I've seen both happen. 
And yep. it's really, really hard to know. And shoppable video really does mitigate that risk because those shoppable video people have trained their audiences to expect shopping. They have a history that they can show that says like, look, we're actually able to sell. Um, there's actual agencies starting to pop up uh, where people mm. are just focused on affiliate marketing because of that. Like, it does feel like a big part of the future of influencer marketing. Um, and the time is now, right? Like, I think TikTok's habituating people into it now and they're pushing hard and they're not going to give up. And that gives the opportunity for us who are a little smaller than TikTok shop to say, hey, you're used to buying stuff through video right now. You a health and wellness person? You want a little bit more authority? You want some cooler <laughs> stuff? Come on in. The water's warm, you know? How are you identifying great creators to work with on shoppable video? I'm sure sales, of course, is a huge component of that. But how are you identifying the like rising talent? Because it's a slightly different profile, I guess. Um, how, yeah, tell me, tell me. I want to know. So we do have some uh, platforms that we use to help us identify. Um, we built one in-house that's a really good AI engine mm. to use Google Trends. Um, especially around health and wellness to figure out what creators, what products, what keywords are being searched. Um, so that's been super, super helpful. Um, yeah. But also just building relationships uh, with content creators for health and wellness. Some who are, you know, hey, I already have my Amazon affiliate storefront, so I'm good. Like there's still some of those, but some that really get it. And, you know, I feel like, especially at this part of our uh, journey, we're looking for people who are really passion driven, who want to jump into it. And we're, that just requires a lot of conversations. Mm. So, um, but yes, we've, we, it's a mix between technology and, and, and hand to hand combat. And we've found some wonderful people who are excited. So we just need to figure out how to get the audience to keep funneling in. Yeah, and how, in your view, how are audiences changing across these different platforms and across these different behaviors and generations and things like that? What have you observed that's been interesting? Well, I'll, I'll start by telling the, a little bit of the negative side of TikTok, but then we'll yeah. end it positive, right? Like TikTok, the star of TikTok is the For You page. Yep. Right? There, there are stars within that where people see them often. They're like, oh, I love that guy. But it's not like YouTube was where it's like you go to the channel or you go to your subscription feed and know everybody. It's just like there, it's very hard to build loyalty on TikTok. So you can have them, yeah. you know. I was just talking to somebody that I, I met at VidCon last year who has 4 million followers on TikTok. And he's struggling to find a manager. And it's like having 4 million followers – yeah. Because I think a lot of managers have gotten wise now to the point where it's like millions of followers on TikTok still might be hard to sell, right? So, um, so I think that that's a, a, a astronomical change. I think that YouTube wow. is still doing the best job in terms of like finding a home for people. That's like it's very hard to grow on YouTube, but it's like stable. The revenue is stable. Like if people are growing on TikTok, they'd be fools not to try to move audience over there. And then in terms of like lifestyle and conversion and everything, Instagram's still killing it. Instagram stories with stickers is still killing it. Um, if you can find the audience there, that's highly, highly valuable. But also I wouldn't sleep on, if you're looking at the passive revenue story, don't sleep on Snapchat. Don't sleep on Pinterest if you're lifestyle. That's a yes. great way to convert. Like, I think you just need to model out how many hours you have in a day, how much you want to dedicate to each platform based on what you expect to get a return on. And then... 
Um, if you can stay focused like that, then you can be a very profitable creator without burning out. You just have to keep your focus. I'm curious to hear more about um, about your perspective on Snap. Well, it's still the number one app for American teens in terms of like loyalty and a lot of other things. So it's like it's more popular than most people give it credit for. That's mostly on the messaging side. But um, so the first time we did something on Snap Discover, their like shows platform was when I was at Studio 71. I think it was 2017. And we um, put world star hip hop on the Snap Discover. And the amount of views we got were silly. It was incredibly high views. And we went, wow, this is not just a messaging platform. So we are verified. We made uh, Snap Discover a cornerstone of what we built. Um, we were helping creators get on there. Um, and a lot of them were making more money from Snap Discover than they were from, uh, from YouTube, even though they had good YouTube presences. So that led us to go, okay, Snap Stars is paying. Let's start having those conversations. We started talking to some people, vloggers, models, who they all say it in whispered tones, but they're like, I'm making $10,000 a day posting 50 stories a day. I'm just posting stories all the time, right? And like, we started diving into it. We went, yeah, there's those, but also there's a lot of people who are making a couple hundred bucks a day doing it, which is still very meaningful money for doing essentially what you do on Instagram stories. And then we started really trying to crack into the code of like, how, how does it display? How do you get the audience behind that? You know, and a lot of it is like when you end a, a story session, whatever the last thing you land on is the thumbnail that shows up in the discover feed. So make sure that that's perfect or make sure you have something preloaded in it. Uh, make sure that you're actually telling a story right beginning to end where it's like, I'm going into this place have beats show important moments, have an ending, have something that keeps people, because it's all about getting people to hang on so they get through the ads. If you're good at doing that kind of that real-time storytelling, with two or three hours a day of effort, you could be making incredible money, <laughs> incredible money. Um, so, I mean, I'm bullish on it. Naturally, at Spree, we're, we're talking to Snap and trying to figure out where that deeper relationship is on Shoppable. But like the Snap Stars program, if I was a creator right now, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to get into that. What is one piece of advice that you would give to someone aspiring to make a significant impact in influencer marketing industry today? Just start creating stuff. Just create like a creator. <laughs> like it's, it sounds yeah. so stupid and boring, but people are like, what should I read? And what should I do? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, have you ever made a board on Pinterest? No, go make a board on Pinterest. Click on every button, click on every button and see every feature like, there, look at an analytics page on YouTube and see what kind of analytics you got, right? Like, things move too fast for you to be able to just say, like, oh, just go read how to make friends and influence people. And then you get, like, you have to be a practitioner, too. Um, and frankly, I, I'm not great with this all the time because I've got two toddlers and a CEO job. I'm like, I have no time. But whenever yeah. I'm waiting in line at the bank, I'm not doom scrolling through Instagram. I'm going on, totally. uh, you know, Apple's top 10 social apps and going, whoa, there's a new one on here. How does this work? And then clicking on every button, you know? Totally. What was the last influencer marketing campaign you saw that you were like, this is really smart? Let me go to one that, that I'm going to be super controversial and I'm going to call this a campaign. How Kick Grew. So what, what Kick did, to they're like 17% of the streamer market right now, and there have been a lot of challengers to Twitch over the years. The way that Kick grew was they defined themselves as the, I guess, anti-woke platform. For better or for worse, they were the anti-woke. If you got kicked off of, 
uh, Twitch, they didn't just court you. They courted you and then went out with a press release saying, we're giving you $100 million for Aiden Ross or whoever, right? Like, they, they, they courted and celebrated you, right? Oh, Corinna Kopp, you keep getting kicked off of Twitch for doing your hot tub streams? We're going to have a hot tub category on kick, and we're going to bring you over. We're going to pay you my, like. There, there, it was just this constant campaign of like, hey, gamers, you guys are a little punk rock. We're your punk rock solution at the same time where Twitch is totally not being punk rock. Am I right? They're lowering your number of money you can make and they're booting you off. And, you know, I, I just thought that like the way that they did the branding and did the campaign was a, a master class in, again, not making judgment calls to whether it's right or whether or not, like, I, I, I believe in the brand, but like figuring out what the, where the hole in the market is, um, getting the right income supply like having stake be their bankroll so that they can go out and do big crazy things um and then using it in order to bring back the casino players which have huge followings but then also bringing back the edgy creators like they just built it right and now everybody knows kick and what they stand for and what they mean and that won't be every a lot of people still think like i will never be on a platform with people who are deplatformed for the reasons they were deplatformed but a lot of gamers say this is wow, 95% payout, and you know, that's feature rich. And you know, they seem to really care about creators at a time where Twitch does not seem to care as much about creators. Like, it was pretty smart. What advice would you give to individuals who are hoping to become influencers, especially in niches like gaming or health and wellness? Two things watch a lot of it so you can really learn the culture and everything, and then make a lot of it and suck for a while and then get better, right? Like, the, the the reason why I see a lot of people failing and they come to me and they're like, oh, I want to be an influencer so bad. And like, can you just look at my profile and let me know what I'm doing wrong? They are posting one YouTube a week. And I'm going, that's you gotta, <laughs> yeah. you got it. It's a full-time job. If you want to be big, like you got to, this is 40 hour a week plus at minimum, right? Like you got to yeah. embrace this. So um yeah keep creating i mean when i started creating on linkedin i sucked i went back to my earliest posts now i think i'm pretty good i've got a good audience there but it took me a few years right a few years of being really bad at it so you got to go through the cycles and hear the audience feedback and see what's working and lean in and that's how you make it absolutely well that's our show thank you for tuning into influence it was so so wonderful talking about Every corner of pop culture, influencer marketing, creator economy, internet uh, with Phil. Where can people find you? Where can people find Spree? Make sure to look me up on all social media platforms. I'm at Phil Ranta on all of them. I'm easy to find. Um, but download Spree. Go to Spree.shop. Download our iOS app. Jump around if you're a creator. Hit the plus button and apply to be a creator. Um, and start making money and building a healthier social media community than you might find elsewhere. Thanks for tuning into Influence. It was wonderful having Phil here with us today. Remember, with every episode, we bring you the minds and voices leading the charge in the world of influencer marketing and the creator economy, helping you stay ahead in this rapidly changing landscape. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at PowderGG on Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube for more updates and behind the scenes content. <laughs> <laughs>